The progressives, the radical left, have a few main things that they aim for. They target especially faith, family, and freedom. Uh, the middle one, family, is what I want to speak to here. Uh, for decades now, they've made it clear that the war on family is a primary goal. And as such, we need to keep defending marriage, family, two-parent families especially. Here I'm going to look at something old and something new, an old talk, an article, but a new take on it. Hi, I'm Bill Muhlenberg from Culture Watch. This time we're going to look at the issue of fatherlessness. Uh, I've been involved in the pro-family movement for 30 years plus, and this is a bit of old and new. Uh, an article I had been responsible for a long time ago, which I've just recently revisited. Uh, just as relevant as ever, the war on the family continues, and especially with the whole trans tsunami, the war on the very idea of gender, of sex roles of the difference between male and female, all that is even more under attack today. So let's look at John Smith. Yes, real John Smith on fatherlessness, part one. All children have a right to their own mother and father. This article follows on from one that I penned the other day involving the late John Smith. He was an Australian social worker and head of the Christian motorcycle club, the God Squad. In that piece, I mentioned that we had some political differences in many ways. He was more of the left, whereas I'm more on the right. But when it came to the importance of the two-parent family and how children desperately need their own mom and dad, uh, we really were as one. The background is this. I had invited John to speak at a pro-family conference I was helping to organize back in 1994. In that article the other day, I quoted some of that piece of his, which um, was excellent indeed. And I mentioned how that talk did, in fact, become part of a journal article that I had edited back then as well. But the more I quoted from that piece, the more I thought this whole talk of his, this whole article, needs to get a new hearing, even 30 years later. So this is, in fact, the entire talk that John Smith gave back on July 3, 1994, and as was reprinted in the November 1994 issue of the Australian Family Association Journal. Why Children Need Mom and Dad Most sociologists in our society today are radically secular, so therefore anything that even begins to speak of the spiritual nature of the human being is ipso facto non-existent. Therefore, one must find a cause which is social, socioeconomic, political, structural, and all the rest. We just leave the rest to those who want to hug trees and buy themselves crystals. On the issue of youth suicide, for example, the politicians say that if the government doesn't fix up unemployment, we're going to see much more suicide. 
If you don't accept that suicide is a mark of a loss of any sense of meaning and purpose and soul, which is all a bit ephemeral for academics that have to be able to show figures and causal relationships, then you have got to invent something and you target unemployment. And if that doesn't work, you target something else. And if that doesn't work, you keep playing the game. So I have kind of lost confidence, to be honest. When I picked up the Institute of Family Studies report, which said that children survive surprisingly well when their parents break up, and then I work for 20-odd years with the kids who are the products of these broken homes, and I find almost without exception what my eyes show me and what the kids tell me on the street just doesn't fit with what the academics are saying, I ask myself, what's wrong? I'm angry about what I read in the papers because I know the academics who can make themselves wonderful tenure from all sorts of fly-by-night theories in the end don't suffer at all if their theories come unstuck. As soon as the ink is dry, they will write another book and the university publishing company will publish it and then another book and it doesn't seem to matter how much they contradict themselves down the line. Meanwhile, in the streets of Melbourne, Sydney, and New York, and everywhere else, there are growing hordes of kids who haven't been role-modeled, who haven't been loved, who haven't been nurtured, and for whom every other substitute attempt to socialize them has been an abject failure. In fact, the system itself, in my opinion, has become such that it's probably more dysfunctional than a moderately dysfunctional family. I'm talking about kids that are hard kids. I'm talking about 14-year-olds who steal 200 cars a year and don't really care. I'm talking about the kids who, back a month or so ago, drove a car in a crazy fashion and killed an innocent young man. I'm talking about those kids, kids who show virtually no sense of conscience, even when things like that happen. These are kids who are not that many years, who not that many years before would have been little, little ones that you held in your arms and you gooed over. The guy who runs our program is a guy that one of, who is one of eight boys brought up by a single parent family. We met him in prison. I won't go into what he's been up to, but he's a, he was a pretty hard young man when we first met him there. He has become one of my best youth street workers. He is a man who will stand up to the police, stand up to anybody with ferocity on behalf of the kids on the street. He is somebody I respect more than any academic in terms of what's happening, really, in the lives of kids. I asked him, what do you think is the effect of the loss of one or more parents in a family situation? What do you think the effect is on a young man? He said, I'm a classic case. A mom on her own just doesn't make it, no matter how good she is. The statistics for single-parent families in terms of economic status are appalling. My mate said to me tonight, street kids yearn to see mom and dad get together. Now, you can take it for what it's worth, but with the dozens of the toughest kids in this city who are angry, violent, disaffected, Many of them, even it was six degrees below zero, would not choose to go to any institutional place. 
They don't sleep in bins under bridges because there aren't enough places they go. They sleep there because they hate you adults. They are utterly disdainful toward the system, the politics, the adults, the whole thing. That's why they sleep under bridges. There is somewhere they could sleep. It may not be satisfactory, and certainly putting someone in a bed for a night somewhere in a room can't be called a home by any stretch of the imagination. But I'm talking about the ones that don't even want that bed. They'd rather sleep in the cold than relate to the system. They're so angry. And according to my staff, who are closer to it than I am, they scarcely have ever met a kid that if you were to sit down and have a lengthy heart-to-heart talk with them, they will not tell you that at bottom, the wish is they had a mom and a dad and brothers and sisters who loved each other and lived together in the same place. I went to a conference in Canberra that had Ida Butros and Dr. Edgar. And as I, stood, as I understood it from the beginning of the conference, there were several things which we adults were not allowed to discuss. Those things were proscribed from the beginning. One of those things was the definition of the family. Now, I resent that. I'm 52 years of age. I've been in all sorts of places, including prison. I've sat with all sorts of people, from professors to the worst kinds of offenders on the street. My staff are sitting with all sorts of people, like the guy that killed the woman down here at Frankston and are pastorally involved with people at that level. And I don't like it when some academics and some people up top, because of political correctness, tell me that it's inappropriate to discuss what a family is. I really wonder what's happening to our society. I might tell you many other things that disturb me. The fact that an extraordinary percentage of little children are killed, not by their father, but by their mothers, makes me ask why the word domestic violence became politically incorrect back a short time ago, and now we only hear the word male violence. That's not to say that I would back off from the fact that males are the biggest problem. But I'm not prepared to be politically correct when dealing with the kinds of kids who are the product increasingly of a society which is locked into its ideological groupings. Our society is prepared to do with our children virtually what was done by the Welsh miners back in the old days when they put the canary in a cage it dropped it down a well. And if there was foul air or gas, there it died. And they'd say, well, there's poison down there. Seems to me that's what's happening in my lifetime, at least intensely for the last few decades. Social theorists and political theorists have been prepared to pass a generation of young people in a cage and drop it down the shaft of their ideologies and they are coming up suicidal, angry, violent, and dead. I believe we need the two-parent family because, quite frankly, I can't see for all the hullabaloo any other alternative has ever been shown to be even remotely effective. And in my book, if you're somewhere out in the freezing North Pole and you don't like your igloo, but at least it's keeping the blizzard from you, You're a bit of an idiot to knock the igloo down to stand out in the bare cold in the raging storm. That would seem to me where many, many theorists are. 
revisionist history has robbed us of the fact that doesn't matter which culture you go to, for all of human history, the two-parent family has been the norm. As one not very well-publicized UN report in the International Year of Youth from Paris said, in every culture for all of recorded human history, the only effective unit for the education of young people and the trans- transmission of knowledge and the essentials of life that is, values and relationships, is the human family. And when they said the human family in terms of the tribal realities, they meant mom and dad and kids. Yes, John, you're absolutely right to say all this. The empirical data does fully back up everything that's been found by you and your team by first-hand experience. So John and I are both upholding the ideal of the two-parent family, but that's not to say we're slamming single parents. In fact, as I said in an article long ago, of course, there have always been such households. Because of the death or desertion of the father, a mother is left to struggle on, raising the children the best she can. And such single moms deserve all the support and help they can get from the rest of the community. But it's another thing altogether when we deliberately bring a child into existence without a father. This is now becoming a social problem of plague proportions. More and more women are deciding they want kids, but they don't want to have a husband or even a male partner. I'll speak to the second half of John's talk in just a moment. Help fight fake news. The Good Source is a right-thinking website bringing the truth and balance needed to the corporate media echo chamber. Good Source is the first source of videos and podcasts like this one by so many independent, conservative, classical, liberal, and libertarian voices from Australia. Good Source articles transparently distinguish between opinions and news, objective honesty without the progressive slant or euphemisms. Would you like to help us grow and produce more new media? Subscribe to email updates and become a Good Source supporter at goodsource.news today. In part one of this piece, I presented the first half of an important talk given by Australian Christian social worker and evangelist John Smith. Back in 1994, he spoke on the vital importance of two-parent families and the well-being of children in that context. Already back then, it was not a PC thing to talk about, despite all the evidence to the contrary. Of course, I've been documenting the evidence for all this for some time now. You know, John was dealing with kids on the streets and their drug problems and criminal backgrounds. I was looking more at the social science research. But we both knew the same truth, and the studies have always confirmed it. Children do best when raised by their own biological mom and dad, preferably cemented by marriage. Back then, the feminists and homosexuals were pushing the androgyny ideal and trying to convince us that sex roles did not exist, or at least were not important. 
Now, of course, with the trans tsunami upon us, the push to eliminate sexual differences altogether is in full strength swing. How much more relevant, then, is John's talk for today? Here, then, is the second half of his urgently needed talk. I couldn't be more sympathetic to a single-parent family member. Our organization is flat-out helping many, many people who are living in de facto relationships or living in single-parent situations. They would tell you that there's no kind of drum-beating right-wing ideology coming from us. We're deeply committed to them. But the reality is that at the level of the street and among young people who are disaffected and disenfranchised, a great percentage of them come from broken families. There was a study I read a few years ago about the Crips and the Bloods, two gangs in Los Angeles. I think there were something like 50,000 kids involved. I met some of them through moral rearmament a few years ago. I'm used to tough people, but I've never met anything or anyone like those kids in those L.A. streets. You look into their faces and you might as well be looking at a sheer plate of steel. Doesn't matter what you say, there isn't a muscle moved in their face. They're survivors. They look through you. They don't give you a hint of what they're thinking because that's the way they live from moment to moment. They're the hardest-faced kids you'll ever meet anywhere in the world. A beautiful thing has happened amongst them because of a Baptist minister that's got them to see that they can put their same dynamic energies into trying to save their people rather than just seeing, simply being in conflict, shooting one another, stabbing one another. But the interesting thing is that this report indicated that the only sociological constant laying back of the phenomena of these massive gangs in L.A., the only sociological constant was that they all came from single-parent families. Now, that's not to say that it's the only cause. There's poverty and many other things in the soup mix. But the stock, if you like, of that mix is single-parent families. In our city, the kids we've worked with on the streets are almost 100% from single-parent families or blended families. The blended families, in our experience, are often the worst. Tragically, in many of these broken families, the new sex partner has no interest in the kids, or in fact has the wrong type of interest in the kids. Now, I haven't the figures in front of me to prove this point, but I could get them if needed because there are many studies, especially in the U.S., that indicate that there is a very clear correlation between gangs and violence in kids from blended families and single-parent families. I believe we need to have a family that has both mom and dad, because I tell you, ladies, I don't care how good you are, my mate's right, no woman can role model a young man. It's as simple as that. No mother can role model a young man. And what makes me angry is those who often would speak on behalf of the single parent, those who set themselves up as the champion of the mother, inadvertently set up a task for these single moms that breaks their health and breaks their minds. Because if you're going to try and tell women they can do it without men, then they have to perform at a level they simply can't. 
When I speak with single mothers and many of them come to, uh, to talk to us, it's usually because their kids are high on drugs or in trouble with crime and there's no dad around to give a certain kind of balance and strength to the deal. Mom is saying, I wish there was a man who could deal with my son, who could talk to my son. We get that all the time. We want to run when we see a woman coming because we are so short on resources. But we see the desperation in the eyes of those moms. When I sit down with them and I say to them, you cannot role model a young boy. You can't be expected to because you can't. You can't show as a woman what a young man is supposed to be. You can talk to him, you can, but you can't show him. Kids are more interested in what you live than what you say. So in the end, you can't role model the kids. So don't try. Don't feel guilty when you can't. It's amazing to watch the muscles in the faces of many of these women as they relax when they are told this. They had really believed that it was their task to replace dad. It's cruel to put that on women who are single parents. But as long as you hold fiercely to the ideology that men are not needed, that fathers are not needed, you put on women that kind of demand, and I believe it breaks more than it ever inspires. Let's try and get the church and others to take seriously the fact that families and uh, have got to act together and have to live together self-centeredly, stop living self-centeredly like we do in the eastern suburbs. And it's time that we begin to take into conference and into our heart and into our four-wheel drives at the weekend those boys who don't have any father to relate to. And it's time that right across the church and across society that those who begin to begin to give a bit more for those who are broken and marginalized. I believe we need dads and moms because I tell you, if my wife went at the time when my kids were young and teenagers, if she had left me or if she had died, I don't know how I would have done it. You see, my mother died at 42 and I happened to be a lot older than the rest of the kids. And there was one primary school age kids and the rest were little kids. One was a baby. I know that many, many times Dad and I were out, utterly out of our depth when trying to do what was needed for the young girls in the family. I cannot role model my daughters. My daughters need me, and there are enough studies to give clear evidence that both a father and a mother have very significant roles in different ways with both the boys and the girls in the family. There is a role model which a male can give to a male and a female can give to the females. And there is no other way this can occur. I believe we need a two-parent family because I think that the kids need to be role modeled in the example of commitment between a mom and a dad. I don't know if you read Cleo and Cosmo and Girlfriend and Dolly, but I do because we work in high schools with kids. Last month was the most disgraceful and destructive bunch of garbage that you would ever see. You get magazines that are actually aimed at 12 and 13, 14-year-old girls, which are absolutely full of the worst details of sexual relationships and are pushing kids at 13 to get out there and do it. 
One of the clear evidences of the need for a solid family is the fact that in the U.S. extensive studies have indicated that girls and boys who have grown up without both parents are far more precocious and sexually active in their behavior patterns. There is a stabilizing that occurs in firm and stable families in terms of the transmission of transmission of values which nobody can pass on in any other system. I am a ex-school teacher and I've been to something like 2,500 high schools in the past 20 years teaching value seminars. I could keep you here all night with the stories about the hundreds of kids who, when they've been confronted with values that are couched in the rock music and a genre of images and language that they can relate to, they will simply open up and tell you that they are desperately longing for a family situation that will offer them real values. The ones who usually come and talk to us after the sessions, the one that are the ones that are most lost, most alienated, and most crying out for help, are the ones who come and say, I live with my mom, I live with my dad, I live with someone else, mom and dad are both gone. They're the ones who come to us after almost every session that we have on values, clarification, and relationships. Kids have a right to see a stable unit. Kids have a right not to be looked after by child-minding centers, but by parents who share a commitment to those kids. Kids have a right to learn their sexual ethics, not from the pathetic rags that they can pick up on the newspaper stands, but from the behavior and interaction and teaching of a man and a woman in a family circle that shows what it means. They have a right to see romance mixed with the pain and struggle of true parenting and true love between a mom and a dad, not to see it in the totally dishonest fashion that is presented in these magazines. Our sense of existence outside of God and outside of an ultimate spiritual foundation can only rest in the significance of what we give to our children and to their children and to theirs. If that UN report is right, there is no other unit. Schools can't do it. Our next-door neighbor can't do it. There is no other unit which can effectively transmit from one generation to the next the dreamings, the significant social theories, the significant relational skills, the transcendent values, apart from the family unit of a mom and a dad who set an example of nurture and love and commitment to each other. For as a young person once said to a counselor, the greatest thing my father ever did for me was that he truly loved my mother. That's a very powerful statement. Without a mom and a dad, that child could never have made that statement. Thanks for listening to Culture Watch. You can see more, read more on Culture Watch, BillMuhlenberg.com. Thanks for listening. Bill Muhlenberg's Culture Watch podcast is a production of The Good Source, presented by Bill Muhlenberg. Thousands of Bill's articles can be read on his website, BillMuhlenberg.com. 
To watch, listen to or read more media without the SJW PC fact filter, visit goodsource.news. That's good, S-A-U-C-E, dot news. Become a Good Source supporter for exclusive access to live and unedited interview recordings, including the conversations before and after the show. 